Good morning. Hi there. Welcome to Grace Live. Hello to all of our friends at home and our brothers and sisters at home joining us too in spirit. We're so glad you're with us. We're so glad that the Lord brought each and every single one of you to his house this morning. I pray you've already been blessed. I pray you already feel the Lord's presence with you, ministering to you. You are not here in vain. You are not here by accident. God, um, he has prepared something for you. He has a refreshing, uh, his spirit to come and bring you just new energy and life. And uh, he has something in his word for you this morning to, this morning to instruct you and give you fresh hope. So you'll see the QR code up there on the screen. Feel free to pull your phones out. Go ahead and click your camera and hit that QR code. That'll bring you to our scripture reading this morning. That will take you to some buttons. If you're new to Grace Life, you may not know that we, you can submit a prayer request or ask a question 24 hours a day. That doesn't mean someone's awake 24 hours a day to answer it right away, but Anytime you want, you can um, find a way to connect on our website or through our app, and you can ask for prayer. You can let us know that maybe there's something you're going through and you need some support. That's what we're here for. Um, and then also, every Sunday, we have a special welcome. And I was feeling this morning like I really needed this welcome because I was at a car wash yesterday with the youth. Who was at the car wash? Is anybody as tired as me? I don't know. I literally stood on the corner of a street for three hours looking like a fool for Christ, jumping up and down and screaming and trying to get cars to turn in. I think I was actually repelling more cars than I was encouraging them to come in because they were like, whatever that crazy lady is doing, I'm getting as far away from her as possible. Um, and so, and then I had something until nine o'clock last night. So this morning I was feeling like, wow, I have no voice, but you know, I'm, I'm like, should I get up there and talk? Tom's like, whatever, go for it. So <clears throat> here I am. So here's our, our uh, Grace Life welcome. And it starts off talking about, you know, those who, who need things. And I feel really needy this morning. Maybe some of you do too. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your life right now. And you're really depending on the Lord for his strength, for his promises to be realized in your life. Maybe you're in a season of weakness right now and you're really struggling and you are really trying to fight in the spirit for your perseverance and your holiness. And I would say, keep looking to the Lord. Look, turn your eyes up where your help comes from. Don't put him down here on the earth. God says, set our minds up high where Christ is and where our help comes from. So that's what our welcome is all about. It's about whether you're here in a season right now, maybe of reprieve. Maybe you're in a season, though, of deep need. You're welcome here, and the Lord wants to meet you here, and he wants, to, he wants to bless you and serve you and find you where you're at and give you what you need. So you can say this with me, or you can just think on it in your heart. Here's what it says, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. He does. To all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness give god the glory if that's you that's his work in your life and to whoever else will come grace life church opens wide her doors so so wide you could drive a semi through here 
come on in in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome, offers you, every single one of you, welcome, every single one of you at home with us right now. He offers you welcome. We have a, let's see, let me open up our scripture reading for today. We're back in Romans. So Tommy's been preaching through the book of Romans. He's still camping out in Romans 8. There's just too much good stuff here, right? To, uh, he's uh, going way below the speed limit right now, so don't be mad. <laughs> you know, you don't want to swerve around. Just we'll sit tight and keep seeing what the Lord has for us in this passage. So we're in uh, Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. All right, here we go. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Thank you. I knew she would find her voice. She always does. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Tommy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life Church. I'm so grateful that you came today, and uh, continuing the welcome that Sarah gave, I extend that to you who are here and those of you who are watching from home and grateful for, for what God has for us today. You can leave your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to jump in there in just a second, but first I want to I want to pause and I want to pray and remind ourselves that we need God's help for what we're about to, to undertake, to understand his word, to apply it to our life, to invite his spirit, to apply it to all those places where we need it applied in ways that we don't even know. We, we need to be either confronted gently by God's spirit or we need to be reminded powerfully by God's spirit or we need to uh, come out of a place of ignorance where we don't really understand the realities that he's explaining here and God wants us to so that we can have the joy and the life and the peace and the power, all the things that accompany these realities. So pause with me and pray. Let's acknowledge our weakness, our dependency on, on God. Uh, let's acknowledge his willingness to come and meet with us. This is God's delight. He loves to meet together with his people when we are a corporate body and to do supernatural wonderful, amazing, incredible things. So let's ask that from him and let's expect that from him. Lord, we pause and we pray. We thank you for the opportunity you gave us to, to gather again under your banner, to come to your word, to open it up, 
to expect powerful realities to, to come alive within us, Lord. Use our minds, use our hearts, remove any hurdles or encumbrances or distractions or hurdles. I've just sensed even this morning um, resistance, Lord. Um, just feel, feel weakness and I feel resistance, Lord, from, from forces. I, I don't know what they are, if it's who I think it is, get them. <laughs> and, and don't allow the enemy to, to hinder us, Lord, or to resist us successfully or to oppose us. I pray that you would have your way with us today and that we would leave here changed, enlightened, empowered, um, changed. Do that in the, in the mighty and powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I don't know how many of you know who that is. I don't get to say this very often as a pastor, but I want to say it today. This, this is one man, he was a pastor in London in the mid to late 1800s. And I do not think, I've read plenty of his sermons, I've read plenty of his books. He was a voracious writer and pastor. He started pastoring when he was 16 years old. He died when he was 58, but he crammed a lot into those years where he was living and, and doing ministry for the Lord. I do not think I've ever read anything by him that I thought was way off base. I mean, who, who am I considering, you know, who Spurgeon was? But I, I'm just finding myself in agreement with just about everything I've ever encountered by him. All that to say, if you can find anything by Charles Spurgeon and you love to read and you love to be helped and you love to be pointed to Christ, he is a great resource. He is a great author. Uh, his sermons, his books, just incredibly helpful. He wrote a devotion uh, called, I think, Morning and Evening that some of you may use. Uh, we've certainly benefited from that. Sarah and I have. But uh, there's a story about him that I just, I don't know, it just it keeps coming back to me as I read this passage because of something that Paul says in verse 9 of this chapter. Paul changes directions. He's, he's using third person pronouns and he goes all of a, all of a sudden to, to an emphatic you. He says, but you, however, he's talking about the spirit, he's talking about the flesh, and then he goes into this just didactic session, uh, section about what it means to be in the flesh, what it means to live life without God. You're, you're unable to submit to God's law, you're unwilling to surrender to it, you're, you're in, at enmity with God, you're hostile against him, you're antagoni antagoni uh, antagonistic toward him. And he's talking about all these things, and you can feel the heaviness, the weightiness of, of just kind of these, these realities. It's almost like it comes uh, with a warning. And then he says, but you, but you Roman Christians, this is, Paul's a pastor, the, the, the letter he's writing here is to a church in Rome, and he's wanting to encourage them and to offer them assurance. So he changes, he changes in his tone, it's very, tone, it's very warm, it's very personal, and it's very pastoral. He's wanting these Roman Christians to have assurance. He says, but you, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And, and there's a way in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written. Sometimes you'll see an if, and it sounds almost like Paul's not sure. If, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the spirit of God dwells in you. There's a way of writing that where it, it could almost be better translated since. Since. The Spirit of God is within you. Paul is giving this church assurance. And I want to do that for this church. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're walking and living and existing in the Spirit, 
There's not a warning here for you. There's hope. There's assurance. And there's a story about Charles Spurgeon that I, I just wanted to read it. This is in his autobiography. And it's incredible because he, in his early years, when he was just a teenager, he preached at a place five miles outside of Cambridge before he was the prince of preachers at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for many years. There was just this little village called Water Beach. It was a little Baptist church. And he wrote about a woman there whose salvation he had no doubt about, but she had no assurance about. This is what he says. Among my early hearers at Water Beach was one good old woman whom I called Mrs. Much Afraid. I feel quite sure she has been many years in heaven by now, but she was always fearing that she should never enter the gates of glory. She was very regular in her attendance at the house of God and was a wonderfully good listener. She used to drink in the gospel, but nevertheless, she was always doubting and fearing and trembling about her own spiritual condition. Maybe some of you are there right now this morning. This is you, to the T, to the letter. Listen to how Spurgeon dealt with this woman. She had been a believer in Christ, I should think, for 50 years. Imagine, can you just imagine that? Five decades of your life living in fear, trembling, doubting, not anticipating heaven at all, always being unsure of where you stood with Jesus. Five decades. I should think for 50 years, yet she had always remained in that timid, fearful, anxious state. She was a kind old soul, ever ready to help her neighbors or to speak a word to the unconverted. She seemed to me to have enough grace for two people. Yet in her own opinion, she had not half enough grace for one. One day, when I was talking with her, she told me that she had not any hope at all. She had no faith and that she believed she was a hypocrite. I said, then don't come to the chapel anymore. We don't want hypocrites there. Why do you come? <laughs> she answered, I come because I can't stop away. I love the people of God. I love the house of God. And I love to worship God. Well, I said, you are an odd sort of hypocrite. You are a strange kind of unconverted woman. Ah, she sighed. You may say what you please, but I have not any hope of being saved. So I said to her, well, next Sunday I will let you go into the pulpit so that you may tell the people that Jesus Christ is a liar and that you cannot trust him. Oh, she cried, I would be torn in a million pieces before I would say such a thing as that. Why, he cannot lie. Every word he says is true. Then I asked, why don't you believe it? She replied, I do believe it, but somehow I do not believe it for me. I am afraid whether it is true for me. Have you not any hope at all, I asked? None, she answered. So I pulled out my purse. Now, this does not mean what it means for us in America today, okay? Spurgeon didn't carry a purse. Anyway, I pulled out my purse and I said to her, Now, I have got, got a five-pound note here. No idea what the translation would be. In the 1800s, that would be a, a lot of money in Britain, right? I'm guessing. Anyway. Here, it is all the money I have, but I will give you that five-pound note for your hope, if you will sell it. <laughs> she looked at me, wondering what I meant. Why, she exclaimed. I would not sell it for a thousand worlds. She had just told me that she had not any hope of salvation, yet she would not sell it for a thousand worlds. What a woman. And then he said this. Check this out. I fully expect to see that good old soul when I get to heaven. 
And I am certain she will say to me, Oh dear sir, how foolish I was when I lived down there at Water Beach. I went groaning all the way to glory when I might just as well have gone there singing. I was always troubled and afraid, but my dear Lord kept me by his grace and brought me safely here. Maybe you are groaning your way to glory right now. And you know this is not how God wants you to live your life. God has something so much better for you. He does not withhold assurance from his people. There are two kinds of people. I mean, there are four kinds, really. But there, there are the people who are in Christ and who know they are. And their life is filled with a joy and with a... They're galvanized for suffering. They're, they're willing to and able to leverage their life for the kingdom. And then there's the people that are in Christ and, and they're uncertain about it. They still feel like it's, they haven't done enough. They're in this hamster wheel of performance. Do more, try harder, do better, pedal faster, and it's miserable. And one of the amazing chapters that God gave us to combat this is Romans chapter 8, and it's really this section right here. It's this section right here. I think what Paul is doing really, he is telling us there's something different about you than there are about the rest of the world who is not in Christ. I guess I could say it this way to just kind of set up the outline. There's something different about the people that he writes about who are in the Spirit than the people he has written about in verses 7 and 8. Let me, let me just read that again for you. Here's verses 7 and 8. When he's talking about setting the mind on the flesh is death. In verse 7 he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Do you know what that word means to be hostile? It means to be an enemy. It means to be at war. Some translations even render that word enmity. Enmity. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Man, what a precarious place to be. What a terrible and tragic and dark and hateful place to be and exist. And Paul is really saying in this section, the, the, this is not describing, I want to make this so clear, if this is your first time to step into this Romans 8 study, I want you to leave with this today. Paul is not here describing two kinds of Christians. Those Christians who are in the spirit and those Christians who are in the flesh. The, the, there's a popular teaching that says that he is, that there's carnal Christians and then there's spiritual Christians. There's like the, the weak, languishing, uh, fleshly, unobedient Christians, and then there's the super elite, spiritual, victorious, he-man, he-woman Christian. That's not what Paul is talking about here. It is possible to, to get in a, in a state where, where your thinking is more fleshly, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in this chapter, but that's not what Paul is doing here. He's not saying these are two types of Christians, those in the spirit and those in the flesh. He's saying these are two types of human beings, two types of human beings. There's only Two categories that are deep enough and profound enough to capture what distinguishes one group of human beings from the other. And it's not political, it's not social, it's not ethnic, it's not economic, it's not we got poor people and rich people, we got, you know, Jews and Gentiles, uh, we've got politically conservative and politically progressive, we've got educated and uneducated. I mean, those are sometimes those are useful categories. Sometimes they're useful, but they're not deep enough and profound enough. Paul lays it all out right here. He says there are two groups of people in the world right now. There are those who are in the spirit, and there are those who are in the flesh. And those who are in the spirit, these are two stark realities. They don't mix. 
They don't, you know, there's things in the world that don't mix, and we understand these things. Oil and water don't mix. How many of you have figured out that ammonia and bleach don't mix, right? Amen. Sorry, sister. You should, should have talked to me. <laughs> you know, milk doesn't mix with a lot of things. Have y'all figured that out? My grandfather once, my mom told me he was drinking milk and eating, I think, fried catfish, and he thought he was dying because of the toxic mystery in, in his stomach. There's some things that don't mix. Tommy Clayton and short sermons, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll be here all day. Some things don't mix, and the spirit and the flesh don't mix together. This is not some spectrum Paul is laying out and trying to move you along to the right or to the left. He does that in other places. Galatians 5, he does that. But this is Romans 8. This is Paul giving us assurance if, if we trusted in Jesus and we're in the Spirit of God. We're existing in that realm, in that dominion, in that sphere. He's wanting to give us assurance, just like Spurgeon did. Paul's such a wonderful pastor. He's such a wonderful pastor and a role model for me. So, in that spirit, and I have no idea how this sermon's going to go. And that's not me giving you an excuse, defending myself, issuing an apology. I used to do that all the time when I was younger. And older pastors said, don't ever do that. That's me kind of giving you a warning. I have kind of what I wanted to say here. And in my mind, I, I don't know. God must want to be, God, God may have a message for one or two of you today and the rest of you tolerate this, okay? I don't, I don't know what the Spirit of God's doing, but uh, this, is, this is one of those messages. This is for assurance. So there are three, three, three things. If you're in Christ, then everything that's gone in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're, there's no condemnation. That's where you start. That's where you stand. That's where you finish. No condemnation. None left for you. Your judgment day, 2,000 years ago at Calvary, right? So there's... there's Three things that differentiate you from the rest of the world if you're in Christ, okay? Here, here they are in this passage. One, God's Spirit indwells you. Man, what a difference. There is something deep and radical and supernatural and miraculous about you. You are a walking temple. <laughs> you realize that? You're a walking miracle. A miracle started in you the day you trusted Jesus Christ. He sent His living Spirit to inhabitate you to indwell you, to take up residence within you. And the Spirit's not going anywhere. He's there forever. He's never leaving. It's like God never retires, but if he, that's, you're his retirement village, okay? He's not ever going anywhere. How about that for assurance? Anybody here feel utterly alone? You're not. That's a lie. You will never be alone. I don't care how isolated as a human being you feel, that you don't fit in, you don't have a friend, you don't have a family. You've got something so much greater than all those things. You've got God's holy, supernatural spirit within you, pouring out his love within you, Romans 5, 5 says. You've got that. That's enough. God's spirit indwells us. God's love flows out of us. And God's restoration awaits us. So those are the three things. What makes you different? Is it because you, your family dynamic maybe growing up was different? Or you grew up on this side of the tracks? or you went to this kind of church, or those things are too superficial to divide human beings. Paul says there's only, the, the difference that will matter a billion years from now, I'm, I'll put it that way, okay? There's only, there's only one difference between you and another human being that is not in Christ that will make any difference 10 billion years from now. It's this, you're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. And the first one is that, Paul says, but you, you are in the spirit. And he he uses a word here in verses, uh, let me look at it now, verse 9. 
You, however, changes. He changes. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells, there's that word dwells. It's three times here. Three times he says this. Paul is, this is so emphatic. It's so emphasized. He's trying to make a point here. You are not like them. And that's not to give you pride. It's to give you assurance. It's not saying you're better than them. He's saying you're different than them. All these things about enmity, hostility, setting your mind on the things of this earthly realm, the temporal things of this world, the Babylon of this world, all the shiny, flashy things that so attract us. He's saying you're not in that dominion. You're different. You're radically different. The Spirit of God indwells you and is guiding you and governing you and sealing you and changing you and empowering you and liberating you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That word dwell, by the, by the way, comes from the Greek word for house. God habitates you. Dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and again, the if is more like since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you, you hear this word, dwelling, dwelling, dwelling. What makes you different? Have the spirit of God living in me. That, that is, is so supernatural and miraculous. I don't think that we think about that enough. That's why it's all throughout this chapter. Paul wants to plant that in your heart and in your mind. That you are not powerless. You are not helpless. You are not hopeless. You're not at a disadvantage. You're not alone. All the ways we can think about that. I, I, I've been watching with my son. It is a guilty pleasure. We found a show on Netflix, and it's called Alone. Has anybody ever seen that show? All, all right. All right. I, I mean, listen, there's some beeps and stuff in there because it's a reality show, but it's, it's pretty instructional for me. It's, uh, I, think it's in, I think it takes place in high north Canada, uh, district, no, wait. Not District of Columbia. Is that the right? Who? Yeah, okay. It's up north. It gets really cold up there, and they call it Grizzly Mountain. It's one of the most isolated places up north in North America, I guess. And there's 10 people, and they drop them off here by themselves. Now, this is, this is different. You're like, yeah, by themselves, right. And they got a camera crew there. No, no camera crew. They've been instructed how to film themselves. So they're utterly alone at, in the sense of human beings, the human beings are concerned. It's, it's a heavily populated grizzly, uh, grizzly uh, environment. So there's grizzly bears everywhere. They can't kill the grizzlies, okay? Um, and they have to survive on their own. All 10 of those people are competing with one another. And anything they catch or eat, they have to find it, kill it, cook it, clean it. And, man, some of them tap out really fast, and that's what they call it. They've given them an emergency phone, and when you can no longer endure life on the terms we've given you, you call this emergency number and you say, hi, this is Ralph. I'm officially tapping out. I'm done. So you got these 10 people, and all the things that you would think would cause you to tap out and call that number, you would think it gets real, it's too cold here, frostbite, I can't forage enough food, I'm starving to death. I'm sick, grizzly bears are everywhere, I'm scared to death. What Jackson and I noticed, we were watching this the other day, you know one of the most dominating factors for these people tapping out? You know what it is? Loneliness. Forget the grizzlies, forget the cold, 
Forget the starvation. You know what they literally cannot endure is being alone with themselves. Some of them, I think the last guy was at 30-something days. He called and he says, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't be without friends. I can't be without other human beings. They help me cope. I can't do this. Come and get me, please. And they're, they're weeping in the camera. They're saying, I never realized how utterly alone I am. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I, I have not seen a Christian yet on this show, either that or they so edit it if they're praying. But I, you, never, you never know what goes into the production of these shows. But I thought, you know what this is? This is life without God. That's what it is. Now, I've told you some definitions of what it means to be in the flesh, which is the opposite. You, what differentiates you is if you're in Christ is that God's spirit indwells you. He's there. He's with you. Never will leave you, never will forsake you. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's his promise of the Spirit. And I think what the, the, definition, the opposite of that is, is you are in the flesh. The things that matter to you are here. They're the seen. They're the visible. And, and, and the greatest definition of in the flesh to me is, is, is this. It's life without God. Life apart from God. And that would, that would be in every realm. Work without God. Singleness without God. Marriage without God. Friendship without God. Politics without God. I mean, fill in the blank. Art, music, whatever it is, without God. It's just like the Tower of Babel. And I think sometimes we're deceived because we, when we think in the flesh, we think of like gross, outlandish profligate sins that are just sensual in nature and deal with the physical body, right? Because flesh. But Paul doesn't mean flesh as in just skin and physical body here. He's talking about a mindset, a worldview. One of the first scriptures I ever memorized was Psalm 10.4. I think I have it in here somewhere. Charles, you may have to help me find it. Um, No, I didn't put it in there. Well, I better have it memorized then. (laughs) Uh, It says this, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Now, when you think of a wicked person, everybody in here has, maybe you think of uh, the wicked witch of the way, I don't know, Wizard of Oz. When you hear wicked, you're like, ooh, that's so sinister. What do you think of? This, this evil person with a knife and with a gun or, you know, orgies or you think of the worst, most profligate fleshly thing, Right? And, and here's the psalmist, and he says, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God's in none of his thoughts. Life without God. That's what it means to be in the flesh. You may be the most, on the outside, self-controlled, respectable, cultured, dignified, educated, successful, noble. Fill, fill, you, may, you may be one of those people that everyone emulates. And like you're a model citizen. And you may be completely enslaved by the flesh, meaning God has absolutely no place in your life at all. No place. I think of the Tower of Babel. Here's humanity in Genesis chapter 11, and they're united. They're all together. They say, let us, let us go. Let us unite. Let us build a city with a tower whose top raises to heaven. And let's make a great name for ourselves. Now, listen, there you've got ambition, you've got unity, and you've even got religion. They're going to build this tower up into the skies, right? Here's the only problem. God's not in any of their plans. None of their plans. And here's Paul. I mean, the Bible is so cohesive. It never contradicts itself. Here's Paul saying the exact same thing. 
Being in the flesh means you are hostile to God. You are antagonistic toward God. He has no place in your heart. He has no place in your life. He has no place in your plans. That's what being in the flesh means. And the opposite of it is is you are indwelt by the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He has been sent to you. Paul even says it three ways, and it may sound strange. Man, it was fun. I was studying for this message, and I'm just trying to wrap my mind around. Why does, he, why does he say, he says the Spirit of God, and then he says the Spirit of Christ. Okay, which is it? <laughs> and then he says Christ is in you. It's like, what's he doing here? Is he, is he like mixing up the Trinity a little bit? No. No. Paul is, Paul is trying to tell us that the, the Trinity, the Godhead, is, is they're distinguishable because they're, they're, they're three persons, Right? Three different persons, fully God. Uh, anyway, I'll get myself into trouble here. Listen, <laughs> what he's saying is their, their mission is inseparable. All three members of the Trinity are at work for you and within you right now, bringing about God's purpose for your salvation, his eternal purpose. And here's what Paul, he says it three different ways. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You have the Spirit of Christ, and Christ is in you. And that's interesting because I was reading... I was reading in uh, John chapter 14 when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. He was trying to encourage his disciples. They were scared to death. He was saying, I'm going away, but it's good for you. It's good for you that I'm going away. It's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, my Father won't send the helper. And here's what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him For he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus says this in verse 19. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, check this out. Here's Jesus himself. He's been talking about the spirit, the promise, the helper, the advocate, the advantage. He's going to send to them. And then the very next verse he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is equating the coming of the Holy Spirit with his returning to his disciples to indwell them. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful and powerful thing just to be reminded in every way possible, you are not on your own. In no sense are you on your own, utterly alone, uh, left hanging by God. He is, God couldn't be more with you than he is through his indwelling spirit. He couldn't give you more of himself than he has. It's okay to pray that, and Paul teaches us those prayers in Colossians, and Lord, fill me, Lord, open my eyes that I may see these wonderful realities, the height and depth of your presence and your love. We're praying those things, but, but the reality is God couldn't give you more of himself than he already has through his indwelling spirit. He gave you his best, he gave you his all, his very heart, his, the living Christ within you. That's amazing, isn't it? Does that encourage you? Man, it does me. Don't I need to be reminded of that? Because I don't always feel that reality. And the world certainly is not helping me. The world wants me to be infatuated and preoccupied with these other things. So, in verse 5, which was the first verse that we started with here, Paul says this. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, that word live has been provided by the translators. It's actually those who are according to the flesh. Those who exist according to the flesh. What Paul is teaching us is your nature or your being precedes your doing. So this is not just, okay, you're in the spirit, you're in the flesh. It's like, no, 
You're, you're in the Spirit, and then you will live according to the Spirit. Because that's who you are. Who you are is what determines how you set your mind. So ch- check this out, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So setting the mind, it, it, it could also be translated those whose worldview is dominated by. Those, it's, this, is, this word means the direction and the thrust of your will. What is controlling you? What is guiding you? Right? There's, there's, a, there's a passage. Let me see if I put it in here. It's in 1 John chapter 2. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll find it and read it for you here. I think I have it somewhere. No, I don't. My apologies. 1 John chapter 2 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John might just as well have said, don't set your mind on the things of the world. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. Those who are in the flesh love the things of the world. Those who are in the spirit love the things of God. They love the things that God loves. They pursue the things that God pursues. They celebrate and delight in the things that God delights in. Again, let me read Galatians 5 here. Just, just to correct, correct when we think of in the flesh, we only think of sensual sins with the body. This is what Paul says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and he does list some of the body, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. We get that. That's kind of obvious. But then he gives these, these as well. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> envy. Um, we don't always associate those as being in the flesh, do we? Like, I'm just not, I'm just not divided. I just, uh, this perpetual conflict. We think like, oh, you just need to work it out. In the flesh. Those are the traits of being in the flesh, not in the spirit. So in the flesh means life apart from God, life completely severed from all that is spiritual, whether it's political whether it's vocational, whether it's cultural. That's what Paul's saying here. But he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the spirit of God indwells you, and he's saying, since he does, the spirit of God is within you. The name of this sermon is actually Best Roommate Ever. <laughs> you know, we had a sermon called Worst Roommate Ever, where it was indwelling sin, and now you've got the best roommate ever. Can you imagine a, a more personal, helpful, loving, gracious, courageous presence and friend and comforter? One who gently confronts you when you need to be confronted. Not just going to pat you on the back and coddle you, right? That's not a friend who does that. He comforts, he gently convicts, he fills us, he seals us, he gives us assurance, he helps us kill our sin recognize our sin, kill our sin, follow Jesus. He directs us into the green pastures and the still waters of God's presence. He helps us understand God's word. He helps us remember truth. 
He sanctifies us. Why in the world would we ignore him? Why would we slight him? John Piper said this once. He said, the spirit is not just outside of us barking commands at us to influence us. He is inside of us working a new heart and a mind conformed to Christ so that we will delight to do what he commands. Cliff, I was thinking of you the other day because I was listening to a Johnny Cash song on my CD. See, some of you think, well, that's in the flesh. No. <laughs> that's a secular, we had these secular and sacred... <clears throat> Johnny Cash has a, has a song called Walk the Line. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And he's, he's got this line in there, and he says, you want me to sing it in my Johnny Cash voice? <laughs> because you're mine, I walk the line. You ever heard that? Because you're mine, I walk. When he says walk the line, he's meaning, meaning I keep my life together. Because you're mine, I walk the line. He's talking about his June Carter, I'm, I'm assuming, in that song, his wife, his lover. But man, we could flip that. Because I'm yours <laughs> to God, right? I walk the line. That makes all the difference in the world, knowing that, that you belong to God. He's given you his Holy Spirit who has taken up residence and has, is dwelling within you. Paul says this to the Corinthians. Man, I, if this is the only point I make today, then, then so be it. Uh, check this out. This, let, let, me, let me read something to you. When you think of the Corinthian church, what comes to your mind? A really mature uh, Christian group of people hanging out? No, very immature, very divided. Uh, they have a lot of problems, got a lot of worldly thinking that, that, that Paul wrote an entire epistle because he's such a great pastor. He's such, such a great church planner. He planted the church there. He left. He's hearing rumblings about what's going on, and he writes them two letters. He wrote them three letters. Only two are inspired and in the Bible, okay? And in one of them, this is, this is what he says. Check this out. I should have put this up. I'm sorry. I guess I didn't plan to. In chapter 3, he says this. Now, be careful how you, how you read this because he says, But I, brothers, so he's calling them what? Christians. They're Christians. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ. And you're like, oh, there you are, two groups of Christians. No. He's not saying you're, you're in the flesh. He's saying you're in Christ, brothers. He's saying, but you're acting, you're acting as if you're not. But then he says this, down in chapter 3, and I have this. Chapter 3, here it is. A little bit later in chapter 3, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? How do you get people who are acting worldly, who are acting carnally, but you know they're Christians? What truths, what realities do you remind them of? This is what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you're God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you, that you're his. He purchased you. You belong to him. He says it again in chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Here's people who are acting worldly, they're divided, they're doing terrible things, and yet Paul is reminding them, you belong to Christ, you are his. Why are you acting this way? So he uses assurance as a powerful leverage to remind them whose they are. Because you're mine, I walk the line, in, in a New Testament kind of sense. <laughs> <clears throat> Do 
behaving stems from being. So that's, that's the first point. A lot more could be said about that. Let me go into, into point two. These next two points will be really fast, and we'll be on our way. No, they really will. I, I only got two pages left here. You guys are doing great. <laughs> point number two, God's love flows out of us. God's love flows out of us. And I made this point really too quick last week. Just want to tease it out just a little bit more. Back in verse 4 of Romans chapter 8, Paul said that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. God's purpose and God's design, God's goal really for redeeming us is so we can love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we can love others, right? That's what Jesus, Jesus summed up the whole entire law. You remember, somebody came to them and said, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he talks with different scribes and lawyers, and he says, well, what is the law? What is your rendering of it? Um, and he says that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, that's right, and, and this goes along with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, they said, well, who is my neighbor? So the way you fulfill the righteous requirement, singular, of the law is one word, love. Love. And so what makes you different from other people in the world who are in the Spirit? You have love emanating from you, flowing out of you. It's, it's overflowing. You're like this bubbling spring or brook where God's love has been planted so deeply within you, it has to exit. It has to come out. And it comes out in your actions and your attitudes and your affection and your help, and your service. That's what he's saying here. Check this out. This is in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I think I may have quoted this earlier. So we've already talked about this a little bit back in chapter 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? How does God's love get poured into our hearts? Through what? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we're in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells us, what's He doing in there? What's God's Holy Spirit doing in you right now? What's, he, what's, he, what's His goal? What's His aim? He is pouring into you love. Do you feel it? <laughs> Do you feel God's Spirit pouring love into you? That's what He's doing. What happens? He keeps pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out. And you know what? You're filled up with it. You're filled up. Hey, listen, guys. We're all full of something, aren't we? And whatever you're full of is going to come out. There's people that are filled with hate and anger and bitterness and envy, and, and it, just, it just seeps out of them. It leaks out of them. Just like your worldview leaks out of you, I can talk to you for five minutes, and I can tell, not because I'm an intelligent man, because I know what the Bible says about how we think. Give me five minutes to ask you some, some deep probing questions, and I can tell right away what your worldview is. It takes less time than that to figure out what's coming out of you. The Holy Spirit's pouring love into you, and it fills you up, and it just spills out. People are like, man, how's that person so loving? One answer, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is within them. He's alive, and he is busy. He is filling them up to the brim, and it's just bubbling out of them. It's just oozing out. That's what it means to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, is you're loving God, and you're loving people. And listen, you cannot do that without the Holy Spirit of God filling you up. You can't do it. It will just be, it'll just be function. It'll just be a show. It'll be a pretense. You'll be, you, can, you can do acts of service and still be in the flesh. The kind of, in the spirit that Paul is talking about here, is the kind that, that only the Spirit of God indwelling you can produce. 
we can actually please God as opposed to the people in verses 7 and 8. We, we are submissive to God's law. We present ourselves to it. We want to fulfill it. We delight in it, right? That's Psalm 1. There's, there's a division in Psalm 1 too. And what separates the, the, the godly man in Psalm 1? He delights in God's law. He wants to do it. He presents himself to it and says, I love this. This is beautiful. This is how life is, is, is most flourishing. This is what God has for me. This is how life works best. I want to do it. Listen, I'll, I'll say it this way, just to give you a very practical. The whole month of June has been called Pride Month now, right? People say, uh-oh, here we go. Now, I want you to listen to me. I'm your, I'm your pastor, and I want to help you. This world has taken an entire month and designated it a month that all human beings are supposed to celebrate and affirm something that God calls a sin in His Word, an LGBTQ lifestyle, where you are pursuing that lifestyle, and the world says, you know, woe to you. If you don't affirm this and celebrate this and elevate it as something that's good and noble and righteous. And yet Christians, because of what God's word says, we can't affirm that. We can't affirm something for, for which God, for which Jesus died to end, right? We can't do that. We can't celebrate that. We can't affirm that. And now the world would look at us and say, well, that's hate. Why won't you do that? Why, why does the world think that God's law is ridiculous? That, God's, that, the, that the Christian sexual ethic is ridiculous? Why does the world look at that and say, that's so archaic. That is so old-fashioned. That is so dumb. That is so restricted. That is so limiting. Is it, though? Is it? I mean, I could present to you a whole, and I've been looking at, at these things this week, a whole list of statistics that show, that show the, the, the type of life that rejects God's sexual ethic. Here's God, and he says, sex is my idea. It's not dirty. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's a gift. And just like any good gift from God, if it's used in its proper context, life will flourish. And if it's not, life won't flourish. It will be broken and disintegrated. And that's what we see. That's what we see. God says, I give you sex, and it's between one man and one woman, one one." One Wyoming and one man. <laughs> one man, one woman, united, united in holy matrimony for life. God says, that's my sexual ethic. And the world looks at it and hates it. And yet the Christian looks at it and delights in it. It doesn't mean we hate an LGBTQ, but it also means we don't affirm their lifestyle. That's not loving them. That's not helping them. Neither do we affirm an adulteress. I mean, all... All forms of violating God's sexual ethic. All types of fornication, all types of pornography. No, no Christian can look at that and celebrate that and affirm that and say that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. We delight in God's law. We don't see those ethics or that morality as ridiculous. We delight in them and we say these are from God. This is for our good. This is how life works best. This is how sex works best. Listen, this is how money works best. This is how my job works best. This is how culture works best. We delight in God's law. We walk according to the Spirit. But we don't see it as a, rule to, to, as a rule to obey. We see it as a path to follow, a path to walk. It's not a method, it's a, it's a mentality. 
So here's the last thing. See, that was pretty quick, wasn't it? The last thing. Everybody got really quiet in here. The last thing we see in, oh, this is Acts chapter 8. Man, I was thinking, what in the world is going on here? (laughs) The last thing we see is God's restoration awaits us. God's restoration awaits us. If God's spirit dwells within you, has taken up residence within you, check this out. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, so there's, there's a decay. There's the Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the outward man is perishing, right? But the inner man is being renewed. He's getting better and stronger and, and coming alive. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So check this out. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, I'm renovating you. I'm not going to throw this body away. I'm going to make this body into something so dazzling, so beautiful, so supernatural, so amazing. One day I'm going to resurrect this dead body and I'm going to breathe new life into it because my spirit dwells there and nothing my spirit inhabits gets thrown away. This is good news. We have a restoration awaiting us. You know what? That separates you from everybody else in the world who's in the flesh. They do not have that hope. They do not have that promise. In fact, man, they have death awaiting them, not just eternal eschatological is the theological word, death, but like the quality of life now. There's death. Check it out. He says, verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So are are you guys tracking with me these two different realities here? There's, There's death, there's darkness, there's enmity, there's hostility, there's a curse, and then there's life, there's peace, There's love, there's flourishing, there's thriving, there's delight, there's hope, there's assurance. And there's this anticipation building. Like, oh man, this life is just a blip on the map. It's just a vapor, right? It's here for a second and it goes away forever. But we have all eternity. All eternity. God is going to give us a new body. His spirit is going to dwell within us. He's going to create us and make us into something brand new. I cannot wait to see what kind of body God gives me. It's going to be something else. This body, I'm, I'm serious, man. I'm only, I'm only in my 40s. But I'm telling you, man, I get out of bed and I have to take a minute. Just to like, <laughs> you, those of you that are younger, you'll get this later. It's like, man, I'm, seriously, I was walking at the park the other day praying. I found myself like, like, Lord, just come and fix me. Come back right now, God. Even selfishly, like, well, I don't care about nothing else. Just come. I feel broken. I feel old. I feel the decay. I feel just the fallenness of this world. I just want to be brand new. Everything about me. And God's like, be patient. I will. Be patient. i got more stuff for you to do right now. Like, okay. <laughs> he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Paul is telling you and I that God has changed our nature and he will change our future. Man, I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? Hey, listen, what kind of church would Grace Life be? What kind of neighborhood would you live in? What kind of community would we have if every single person embraced these promises, these realities, and said, yes, I affirm these things are true. These things are, are true for Christians. That's one step is to say these things are true. Everybody believe this? These things are true. Say it. These things are true, right? 
Now, these things are true for Christians. These things are true for Christians. You're not there yet, though. You know where you need to get? These things are true for me. These are my truths that God gave me. I know it's a danger. These are my truths. No, God wants, this is your truth. This is, this is, God wants to put this truth in your heart and plant it so deep that it just empowers you and inspires you to live a godly life. I hope you have that assurance. I hope, you have, I, hope, I hope you're not groaning the glory. I hope you're singing the glory. And look, maybe you don't have hope because these things, and we're closing, maybe you don't have that hope because these realities don't exist in you. You don't have God's spirit. Maybe Christianity to you, you thought it was a, a bunch of ideas or just a different lifestyle or just some teachings you began to follow and then, and then you were all new. No, that's not what Christianity is all about. That's every other religion in the world. It's like, hey, adopt this teaching and follow these principles and reach nirvana or reach enlightenment or follow this, this path. And then, and then maybe, maybe you'll make it. That's not Christianity at all. Christianity says it's done, it's finished. Christ did everything. And all you do is you trust in him. You repent of your sins. You agree with God that you're a sinner. You're hopeless. You're lost. You're under the wrath of God by nature. You have violated and broken his commandments. And the, absolutely, the absolute only hope you have of redemption is Jesus Christ. And if you look to him and you turn to him, he'll forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, what you've thought, what you've looked at, the crimes you've committed, the sins you've committed. God will erase all of it. He'll give you a clean heart, a clean slate. He'll come and indwell you and fill you and forgive you and make you into something brand new. He will turn none away. Do you have that hope today? Those of you watching from home, do you have that hope this morning? Do you have these? These are just treasures that we have powerful truth realities that god wants us to embrace as our own let's do it lord i pray thanking you for for these truths for these hopes that you've given us and I just feel like so much of this was probably clumsy lord and and uh it just maybe feels thrown together but i trust it's it's from you lord maybe one sentence that was said or just a scripture that was read or a point that was made just to encourage a a Christian who feels defeated, who feels alone, who feels powerless, who is just doubting that they belong to you, doubting that they're in their, your kingdom, doubting that you're in, they're in your family, doubting that they belong. Or maybe somebody who's not in the spirit at all, who has lived all their life in the flesh and has maybe believed wrongly that they're in the spirit just because they start to follow a teaching or maybe they went to church or maybe they came from a Christian family and they never experienced the miracle of the new birth. I pray that they would, even this very moment, God. They would cry out to you. They would just groan. If they can't utter words, they would groan, help. Lord, just come to them. Forgive them of their sins. May they turn to Jesus. May they trust in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his supernatural resurrection, his reign in heaven. May they know that you want them, Lord, that you love them. You died for them. You want to make your home in them. I pray that would be a reality for them today. As our worship team plays our, our song of reflection, God, I pray that we could just ponder these truths and just enjoy them anew and afresh. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our, our time where we have our Selah. It's our moment at the end of the service to just reflect on what you've heard. We have a prayer team in the back who would love to just, if you want to just pull them aside for a minute, talk with them, pray with them.
If, if, if you have a prayer request you want to give to the church, you can go to that code that Sarah put up there earlier, or you can go to our website. You can fill out a Connect card in the back. We don't pass an offering plate here. Our people give of their donations and gifts and tithes and offerings and whatever word you want to use. You can give in that on, on, on the way out. And uh, Song of Reflection, and then I think Matt is going to come, and we're going to have some, some special things at the end of the service here and some announcements. So, guys. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God.
this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my savior it's all the day long let's sing the chorus again this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long no matter what the enemy throws at us amen this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long amen lord we praise you father and we bless your name Thank you that we can have blessed assurance, Lord. That assurance lies in you, Father. When our faith is weak, you are faithful and you are strong and you give us strength. Amen. And you guys can take a quick seat. I have a couple of announcements for us this morning. And as you see up here, uh, next week. Wait, what day is today? Not next week. Nope. Just kidding. This month, though, in July... There, <laughs> I don't know where my brain is. Uh, there is a fifth Sunday, and so every fit, every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month, we have a special service with everybody included, every kid, no matter their age. We have a family style worship, and it's just beautiful, organized chaos, and it's amazing. Um, it really is beautiful, though. I love it. And then afterwards, we have a meal together that we share as a church family, and potluck is back. And it's booming. So we had it last fifth Sunday. We're doing it again. It's going to be amazing. I believe this QR code is to register what you're bringing. Not exactly what you're bringing, but whether it's an entree, a side, dessert. That way we can know we have all our bases covered. So be on the lookout for that at the end of this month, fifth Sunday. Also, next week, July 17th, we have a student ministry gathering. Weather permitting, we're going to be meeting at Dewey O. Booster Park in Deltona and just having a, some field games and a, a fun time there. Also, shout out to our students who were at the car wash yesterday. Yes. I am so proud of them. They worked, it was hot out there, like blisteringly hot. They worked hard. They were holding up signs, washing cars. Um, I know it rained later that day, but there are no refunds. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But they, they did incredible. They, they pre-sold tickets, and then they washed the cars Saturday, and they, they raised nearly $1,000. Like, yeah, yeah. Those, those kids, they earned it. They, they worked really hard. And I know you guys as a church family bought a lot of tickets, so thank you. It was a success. It was a ton of fun. Final announcement, grow class. This Thursday, we got three weeks left. It's been a blast. I'm sad that it's going to end soon, but we've got three more weeks just to, to dive into different spiritual practices, to talk about how we can 
better access, maybe that's the right word, better access the spirit that's already in us, just to enjoy his presence, to take advantage of the power we have within us. Um, so come out to that. If you haven't been to any, that's okay. You can still come out. There's notes from each week. If you scan that QR code in the Church Center app, you can review what we've already talked about. Come on out and enjoy it. Last thing. This is, this is a sad note, but it's, it's also a celebration of what the Lord is doing. We're going to pray over the Wampler family. Today is their final Sunday with us. So I don't know where they're at. Womplers. There they are. You guys can come here to the front. I'm going to join them down, down there. Uh, this family has been an incredible blessing to our church. And the Lord has blessed Thomas with a new teaching and coaching opportunity in Alabama. So they will be relocating, uh, leaving, I guess, leaving your house tomorrow, leaving Florida Wednesday. Okay. Um, also, you need help cleaning your house this afternoon. Is that right? No, I'm done. Oh, she's done. Just kidding. Man, that's awesome. Um, but man, if you're looking for an example to follow of how to be a family that pours into a church well, look no further than the Wamplers. Um, Thomas helping with the band, playing bass. He served in student ministry, pouring into the students, teaching them, encouraging them. And Courtney, obviously, leading our kids' ministry, discipling kids, not only kids, but their parents and families. Um, she has just taken that ministry to the next level, um, systematizing it, organizing it, and just making sure the gospel was, was ever-present in every lesson, every activity. Um, so thank you guys for, for all the ways. Yeah. And th this is sa a sad day for Grace Life, but we know, like Tommy said last week, they're not ours. They belong to the kingdom, not just Grace Life. So we want to send them off to their, their next place, their next assignment. Um, so I'm going to have, uh, if the elders and their families could come down, and anyone, if, if you are the Wampler's people, you can come down too. We're going to lay hands on them, pray over them for this next chapter. Um, and we're excited to see how the Lord uses you guys in Alabama. And if, if you're in your seat, you can just extend your hand or place it on the chair in front of you. We just want to pray blessings over Courtney and Tomless, Thomas and uh, Trey and Perrin as well. And I'm going to have Steve pray for us. He's our elder. We have three categories, gather, grow, and go, and he's over our go, so I figured it would, it would be fitting for him to pray as, as the Wampler family goes. I got to spend some time with uh, Thomas a couple weeks ago and heard the story about um, how God had sold their house and provided a house and provided this job and, and all of the, the stones that he had turned over to make their path smooth. And it just reminded me of the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lord, as we send Thomas and Courtney 
their family to Alabama. Lord, we, we thank you for the time that you have allowed us to spend with them, how they have gratefully and joyfully served Grace Life. Lord, what a blessing they have been to us. And uh, Lord, if, uh, if we followed our own understanding, we'd keep them here. But Lord, you, you, um, you have a bigger plan for them, and you have you have made it clear to them, and and Lord, clear to us that that uh, where they are headed to is is you've got wonderful things in store for them. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to bless and care and provide and watch over them as they um, as they go into this new endeavor that that you have laid out in front of them. We also pray for. I believe it's Courtney's uh, family, Lord, as, as they uh, deal with some issues right now up in uh, the Carolinas. We just pray you would continue to watch over um, their family. And Lord, show them, continue to show them the love that, you have, uh, that they have shown us and that you have shown them in the past. Pray for them, Lord. Watch over them and guide them. I thank you for them in Christ's name. Amen. amen. I, oh, Matt. Yes, we still have to say our charge. And if you want to celebrate and enjoy the Wamplers, we have uh, Kona Ice. It, it'll be out in the parking lot. Um, for, that's for kids, for, for your kids to uh, say one last thank you to Miss Courtney as she led that ministry. Um, but really for all of us just to, just to send them off well and uh, enjoy one last time hanging out with them. So that'll be right out in the parking lot. Kids are free. Adults, sorry, you have to pay, um, but it, it'll be a, a fun time. So if you would, stand with me. We'll say our charge, and we will be on our way. Say this with me. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. Amen. You have been sent.